This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. I will begin with one verse from the Bible, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. If you ever speak to a Christian, one of the things he will say is, I am a sinner saved by grace. A sinner is someone who sins. Salvation to be saved is deliverance from sin. And grace is God's favor by which he delivers sinners from sin. And so the subject of this evening's lecture is, what is sin? If we are sinners saved by grace, what do we mean by that first part, sin? One of the first things we must understand about sin is sin is the fault of man. It is not the fault of God. There was no sin in the world when God first made it. And that men are sinners today is entirely the fault of man, not God. God is always holy. We also ought to say that sin is actually not a thing. It's not a substance. It's a spiritual principle or a moral principle. Sin is that which is against the holiness, righteousness, and goodness of God. Sin is at its heart rebellion against God, and sin begins in the heart of man before it is even expressed in deeds. And here's one of the Reformed Confessions. The Westminster Shorter Catechism gives a definition of sin. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Sin, therefore, is any failure to comply with or any violation of any of the commandments of God. And so sin is really meaningless without a commandment of God which a person could then transgress. And the first commandment that God gave which man transgressed was this. Genesis 2 verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There's God's clear command. Thou shalt not eat of it. There's also God's clear warning. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Genesis 3, verse 6. She, that is Eve, took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband 
and he, Adam, did eat. So God warned man about sin. God gave man a law. God warned man about the consequences of sin. But man went ahead and sinned anyway. If I can make an illustration, if I dig a pit, and if I build a fence around the pit, and I place all around the pit warning signs which say, danger behind this fence is a pit, and you disregard my warning, break down my fence, and jump into my pit, whose fault is it that you are now stuck? at the bottom of the pit. It's yours. You deliberately jumped into the pit. And that's the case with man. That's the case with Adam. Whose fault was the fall? It was Adam's fault. God made him upright. God made him holy. God gave him freedom to eat of all of the other trees in the garden. God gave a commandment and a warning, but Adam disregarded everything that God said, and he deliberately disobeyed God. And here is Scripture's verdict. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29, and Romans 5 verse 12, by one man sin entered into the world. That's the fall. Now what effect did the fall have on Adam? There are many who say that Adam really wasn't at all affected by the fall. He was the same before the fall as he was after the fall, but that's false. The Bible teaches that because of the fall, Adam became a sinner. That doesn't mean merely that Adam committed many more sins after his first sin. He did. But those sins are not recorded in the scriptures for us. It means rather that Adam became a sinner in his nature. He was transformed in his very nature or being. He was righteous, and then he became a sinner. Adam's nature was holy. He was made in the image of God. And as a consequence of the fall, Adam became unholy, he became unrighteous, he became corrupt, and he became depraved. And then the question is, how depraved did Adam become? And the answer is, Adam became totally depraved. Total depravity. That means first that Adam became depraved in all the aspects of his nature. He became depraved in his heart. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible also says in Genesis 6 verse 5, And God saw 
that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Evil depraved in his heart, which is the spiritual center of man. He became depraved in his soul and in his mind. Romans 8 verse 7, The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And Adam became depraved in his will. Our will, Adam's will, is a faculty of choice. It's that aspect of your nature by which you make choices. And that too became depraved, so that because of his depravity, Adam from that moment forward only made evil choices by nature, not good. Here's Ephesians 2 verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh. Notice that the lusts of our flesh, that's the will. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And then John 3, 19, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So Adam became depraved in his heart, in his mind, in his soul, in his affections, in his will. In the entirety of his being, Adam became depraved. Moreover, Adam became totally depraved in every aspect of his nature. He became totally depraved in his heart. He became totally depraved in his soul. Totally depraved in his mind. Totally depraved in his affections. And totally depraved in his will. To use another illustration, Adam became like a rotten apple. Now you could have a rotten apple where part of the apple is rotten. You can cut out the rotten part and eat the good part. But that's not the kind of apple that Adam became. Adam became rather like an apple that is completely rotten all the way through so that there is no good part. There's nothing there that you could eat, as it were. It's completely rotten and corrupted. And so the fall of man into sin means the loss of goodness, because man was made good, so he lost goodness. And on the other hand, he became actively corrupt in his nature. So we've seen the fall. We've seen the effect that this fall has had upon Adam. And that leads us to another point. How did Adam's disobedience in the Garden of Eden affect us? Adam ate the forbidden fruit. We did not eat the forbidden fruit. We were not there in person to eat the forbidden fruit. We did not commit the sin that Adam committed. How then has this any effect upon us? And the answer is that we are guilty of that first sin and we are born corrupted 
because of that first sin. And therefore, we, as well as Adam, are by nature totally depraved. So everything I said about Adam is also true of us. It's also true of all human beings who came after Adam, who were born by natural generation. The only exception to the rule is Jesus Christ. He was not born depraved. He was not guilty of Adam's sin. But everyone else, every other human being is guilty of Adam's sin and is born depraved and is totally depraved by nature. That's because Adam did not sin as a private individual. Adam sinned as a legal representative. If you have a legal representative, what he does affects your legal status. And because he acted as our legal representative, when he became guilty because of his rebellion in the garden, we became guilty in him. And because we became guilty in him, God punished us in the same way in which he punished Adam. Because you must understand that what happened to Adam was actual punishment by God. Remember, God created Adam in his own image. When Adam sinned, God punished him by stripping him of his image. He was no longer permitted to bear the image of God. Adam was created righteous with God's own righteousness. God stripped him of that righteousness. Adam was created holy with God's own holiness. God stripped him of that holiness. Adam was created with the knowledge of God. God stripped him of that knowledge. And God gave him over to and delivered him into the opposite. So, Adam, having lost the image of God, took on instead the image of the devil. Adam's righteousness was changed into unrighteousness and perversity. Adam's holiness was changed into corruption and depravity. Adam's knowledge was changed into ignorance and blindness. Because you must understand that Adam was made positively righteous and holy. So he's holy. He doesn't then become, as it were, neutral, a sort of blank slate morally, but he becomes actively unholy. So he falls from being holy to being unholy. Actively unrighteous, unholy, and evil. And because he represented us, he lost the image of God, the righteousness, holiness, and knowledge of God for us too. And because we are Adam's descendants, 
we are born depraved and corrupt as he was. We are not born into this world righteous. Adam was born into this world righteous. We are not even born into this world morally neutral as a blank slate. We are born into this world actively evil. That's the Christian message about sin. You and I this evening, whether we know it or not, whether we feel it or not, whether we admit it or not, are evil. We're evil. And all men are evil. And even little children are evil. Here's Psalm 51 verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And here's Psalm 58 verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. And in Romans 5 verse 19. For as, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We've seen the fall. We've seen what effect the fall had upon Adam's very nature. We've seen what effect the fall had upon our very nature. And now we look at the consequences of sin. What does it mean practically that we are sinners? Well, first of all, it means we're guilty. We're guilty. We're like criminals before a judge. And guilty simply means that we are liable to punishment. God does not punish those who are not guilty. And the punishment of sin is death. And because of sin, we're all subject to death. And death includes all the miseries of this life. And ultimately, eternal death in the fire of God's wrath in hell. And so Romans 6 verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. Second, sin is pollutant, pollution. Pollution. We are polluted and defiled and unclean and filthy in the sight of God because of our sin. We're guilty and we're polluted. Here's God's assessment of the people of Israel in Isaiah's day. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 6. Picture this in your mind. From the sole of the foot even unto the head. There is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. That's the picture of a leper, covered head to toe with sores and wounds and pus, vile and disgusting. Third, sin is bondage or slavery. Sin enslaves a person, rules over him as a master rules over his slave. Sinners think they're free, 
But in reality, they are in the worst kind of bondage. Jesus said in John 8, 34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant or the slave of sin. So we're guilty before God, we're polluted before God, and we are slaves of sin in the sight of God. And the practical effect of being a sinner is that we sin. Out of our sinful nature comes forth sin. Sinful thoughts, sinful words, sinful deeds. They're all the fruit of a corrupt tree. Jesus calls us corrupt trees. They're corrupt streams from a polluted fountain. It all comes forth out of the sinful heart of man. Here's Jesus in Mark 7, 20 to 23. That which cometh out of the man, that defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. And that means that we are not able to do anything good. If you have a totally depraved heart and mind and soul and will, your totally depraved heart will produce only evil. It won't produce anything good. It's not possible for you to produce anything good of yourself. It's not possible, therefore, for you by nature to do anything which is pleasing to God. Everything you do, even if you think to yourself it's good, and even if society tells you that it's good, and it looks outwardly good, is actually evil because God searches your heart and he knows your motives. He knows, for example, you don't do it to the glory of God. He knows you don't do it perfectly, obeying his law perfectly. He knows it's mixed with pride and, and envy and unbelief and all kinds of other motives. And so here's what Romans 3 says about us by nature. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Remember, Adam was righteous, but now there's none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable or good for nothing. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. There is no one, no one who does anything good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. Imagine standing before a tomb and smelling the rotten flesh of a decomposing corpse. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps, which is a poisonous snake, the poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. 
Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We're not partially good and partially evil. We are completely evil in every part, and every part of us displays that evil. Our mouth, our tongue, our lips, our heart, all of it displays evil. And so we can't do anything good, and we are wholly inclined to all evil. You might be very respectable here this evening. You probably have no criminal record. Most likely you never have a criminal record, God willing. But you and I are capable of every conceivable sin. It's in here, in our hearts, lurking, ready to express itself at any given moment. We're all potential murderers. We're all potential adulterers. You name the sin, we are able to do it because sin is in our flesh. It's in our very nature. Now, there are some people who are more inclined to one sin than another sin. But all of us are wholly inclined to all evil. Lust, envy, Greed, malice, pride, covetousness, and all the rest, all of these things are found in our nature. And therefore it's a mistake that some people make to say that sin is only in the deed. That was the Pharisees' view. When Christ came, the Pharisees boasted that they had kept God's commandments. And Jesus said, no, you haven't because you haven't thought about the heart. Just because you have never stabbed someone or shot someone or poisoned someone does not mean you're not guilty of murder. You are guilty of murder if you have hated someone in your heart. And just because you've never actually slept with another man's wife or husband does not mean you're not guilty of adultery because you have lust in your heart. That's what Jesus taught. And just because you never robbed a bank doesn't make you guiltless before God because you have envy and covetousness and greed in your heart. And these things could very easily blossom into the full public sin of murder adultery, or robbery. And that's the Christian doctrine of sin. And if that's true of man, and that's what the Bible teaches about man, if that's true of man, then there is no hope for a man in himself. And that's why the Bible emphasizes this truth so much. Because the Bible wants us to see there is no hope for you in yourself. If you try to find some salvation in yourself by doing works or by obeying commandments or by becoming religious, you'll never have any salvation. You must see yourself as a guilty, polluted, 
sinner who is in deep spiritual bondage. And that's why you don't need a helper or advice. You need a savior. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to save sinners. He took his people's guilt by enduring punishment in their place on the cross. He powerfully cleanses his people from sin's pollution by working in them by his Holy Spirit and washing them in his blood. And he powerfully delivers them from bondage by paying the price for their deliverance, the ransom price, on the cross. The Bible says, Believe in Jesus Christ the Savior and you shall be saved. That's his name. Matthew 1.21 And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for, because, he shall save his people from their sins. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.